We've all seen representations of the double helix strand of DNA, but what do we really know about it? And is science showing that it couldn't have come about by chance? Be amazed as you learn the answers to these questions and more on this episode of Wonders Without Numbers. There's really no way to fully express just how complex life is, but we want to touch on several components and delve into the science behind them. Now, today, many biologists would tell you that life has evolved over millions of years of chance processes, but biochemists study the smallest components that make up each life form, and they find that it's no simple study. In fact, the deeper you go, the more complexity you find. If you see a small microorganism, it looks pretty simple. Look closer and you'll find that it's made up of tiny cells. Now the cells look simple until you look closer. You realize that each cell is like a city functioning in some incredible ways. But in the cell you'll find DNA, which might be described as a twisted ladder. Simple, right? But if we delve even deeper, we see that there are mechanisms active in this string of DNA that rival the best automation machines today. Now, Dr. Joe DeWeese is from Troy, Illinois, and he became interested in cancer research after his brother was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease. Now, he earned his PhD in biochemistry from Vanderbilt University, and he currently lives in Tennessee with his wife and two children. In 2009, he began teaching biochemistry and pharmacology at the Lipscomb University College of Pharmacy. His specialty is in DNA topoisomerases, which is a fascinating field of research that we'll be talking a bit more about today. So what I want to do is join with me as we welcome my friend and very special guest, Dr. Joe DeWeese. Thank welcome you, to the program. Thank you, David. It's great to be here with you today. I appreciate this opportunity and I look forward to uh, getting to share with you some of what I've learned about these fascinating enzymes over the last 10 years. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's, let's sort of break it down here now. We first met in South Carolina. That's right. Uh, at Myrtle Beach. That's we right. were at a, a conference. Mm -hmm. uh, there were many scientists there speaking on various issues. And um, uh, there was a, a lunch, I believe it That's was. Right. We sat down to lunch, separate tables, and I saw your your shirt and That's it right. had a, a logo that I recognized. That's right. I had worked with them before. and. Uh, we got to talking, and you said, yeah, I think I'm the only person here from Tennessee. <laughs> I said, no, you got one more That's brother right. right here. That's right. That's right. So, so we, we were able to, uh, I think, uh, build a relationship just on that. But uh, it's, it's been great getting to talk with you about your ministry and the things that you're doing. Uh, and, and I tried to share with you some of my passion about what I'm excited about with regard to understanding creation uh, in light of modern science, because I don't think science and faith have to be in conflict. Uh, I think it's about our interpretations of science that really bring things in conflict. Okay, so that's mm -hmm. interesting because a lot of people would say, okay, you, you've got one or the other. You can that's believe right. the Bible, a that's book right. of fairy tales and all of that, or you can believe what science is showing that's us. That's exactly right. How, do you, how, how can you mesh the two? Well, for me it comes down to uh, passages like Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. Mm -hmm. The invisible things of Him have been seen since the creation of the world. Where, have they, where are they seen? They're seen in the things that have been made. Mm -hmm. And that's where my journey has taken me. So my journey down into science with an undergraduate degree in biochemistry and now a graduate degree in biochemistry and then over the last six years of running my own research lab has really taken me down into the depths of what how do these cells actually function? What allows them to work? Uh, and the deeper I go in the things that have been made, I see evidence for God's design and power just evident throughout. 
Uh, and it just reminds me of the fact that we truly are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's absolutely right. So you're saying Romans is telling us basically, Paul's telling the Romans, you can study creation. That's right. You can study nature. That's right. And that will actually bring you to an even heightened realization that everything we read in the Bible is true, that there yes. is a creator, a designer behind yes. it all. Absolutely. Just as you've done, as you've looked out into the stars and, and seen evidence for God's hand, I look down into the creation and say, as I examine a cell and how a cell functions and how DNA within a cell functions and enzymes work on that DNA, what I see is evidence that, that God is very real and that God is very active and that He did in fact create us and design us for a purpose. And, and that gives me purpose and value in my own life. Absolutely. Uh, and so these enzymes that I want to talk with you about today are just, uh, I think, a fascinating example of that. Absolutely. Well, I know you've got a lot to cover, so sure. we'll sort of delve into it. Absolutely. So as, as you started a few moments ago, you talked about the concept of DNA being a, a ladder, a twisted ladder, and it, and it very much is. And I wanted to bring up the structure of DNA because I think it's important to understand life is made of biological molecules. And so a cell is made up of lipids and carbohydrates and proteins and nucleic acids. Okay. And all of those different components have different roles and functions. And some of those functions overlap. Uh, and DNA is what actually encodes the genetic information that allows the cell to build all of the things that it needs to build. It's essentially, all the proteins in a cell are encoded within the DNA. Okay. And so their information is actually contained along this ladder. And so this is just a segment of it. Uh, and, and imagine this uh, amplified over uh, trillions of times. I mean, right. we're, we're talking about billions of base pairs worth of DNA. Wow. Okay. Uh, and so all of that information is contained within the nuclei of our cells. Uh, and this, this very elegant twisted structure, though, uh, brings with it some significant co uh, implications that we'll talk about in just a few minutes. Mm -hmm. But I want to remind us of the relationship between these molecules. So, okay. so the genetic information in our DNA uh, is used in a few ways. One way it's used is to make RNA through a process we call transcription. Uh, and this process is uh, a, a means by which the enzymes in a cell can actually get to the DNA and use that information to build another molecule. Once the RNA is used, some of that RNA is used to make proteins. And so we call that process translation. Okay. And so the RNA molecule itself then, which has information from the DNA, is used to build a protein hmm. based upon the specific order of the nucleic acids in that molecule. Okay, so you so transcribe the DNA. To RNA, correct. To RNA, and then the RNA basically translates how, how to build these things. That's right. So the RNA then binds to a machine out in the cytoplasm of our cells called the ribosome, okay. which translates the RNA information into the amino acid language of protein. So wow. it's actually a translation. It's actually changing the language, so to speak. So it's hmm. a really fascinating concept that we've named it translation because it very much is uh, translating from the nucleic acid language to the amino acid language. Okay. So it's important for us to understand the interrelation here. Another thing that happens to the DNA is it also has to get replicated. Every time your cells divide, mm -hmm. you have to provide the daughter cells with an appropriate complement of DNA so that those daughter cells can then survive and ultimately reproduce themselves. Right. So we have processes like DNA replication or DNA synthesis, we have transcription. These are all dependent upon the DNA. But the interesting thing is, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, while DNA has to undergo these processes, the means by which that's done is actually carried out by proteins and RNA molecules. So what oh. we're saying is the process of making RNA and the process ultimately making protein proteins. requires proteins and requires RNA. 
Huh. So, so there's an interesting interaction and interplay there. Excellent. Uh, but let's take it a little bit further. So, yeah. so DNA in, in its state, as we noted uh, previously, is a double helix. We call it the double helix. It's two strands wound around each other. Gotcha. But that's not how it's actually found in our cells. So it's actually a little more complicated than that. And so DNA is actually wound around a core of eight proteins that we call histones, uh, and this forms what we call the nucleosome. And these nucleosomes get packaged one after another in long strings forming what we call our chromosomes. Okay. So chromosomes are actually the combination of DNA and all the protein that it takes to organize all that DNA. Wow. Imagine, and I brought a rope here, we'll use this for several illustrations, but, sure. but imagine a rope that is double-stranded that is miles and miles long. Okay. Just imagine that for a second. Okay. So you stretch this out for so, miles. So imagine that's miles and miles long, and then imagine taking that and compacting that into a very tight space. Okay. What are the chances you're going to keep that from getting tangled up? You're listening to Wonders Without Number with David Reeves. The message presented today was filmed in studio at David Reeves Ministries Wonders of Creation Center and is available in video format with powerful accompanying visuals. Subscribe to our Genesis Plus package online to get instant access to the video format of this message and hundreds of others right on your computer or mobile device. If you are encouraged by this message and would like to be a part of sharing this information with millions across the globe, we would love to hear from you. Give us a call at 931-212-7990 or write us at David Reeves Ministries, Post Office Box 2824, Lewisburg, Tennessee, 37091. Visit our website, davidreeves.com today. That's davidreves.com. And now, back to Wonders Without Number with David Reeves. Well, very, very, very low, right? <laughs> you know, it's, I take a 10-foot section in, in a rope or a cord right. or an extension cord. You extension get tangled cords up get tangled up, don't they, right? Yeah. You put them in a box and you go to pull them out just like Christmas lights. Every year, you go to, if you go to pull out Christmas lights from a box, yeah. they're inevitably tangled, just like extension cords or audio cables or whatever you work with. Okay. The same thing is true of our DNA. And you're saying that... It can get tangled up. We see basically this beautiful, elegant structure of a right. double, double helix in a, right. in a straight line, That's but right. it's actually all wrapped around. It's actually compacted up, and okay. in various states of compaction, it's not always like this. It's dynamically regulated so okay. that you can actually access that information. Huh. So you have to have a means by which to compact it and decompact it and provide it to open up. Okay. To take it a step further, to actually get to the information itself, you actually have to pull the strands of, of the DNA apart. And so I illustrate that by saying if you take a rope that's double-stranded and you begin pulling either strand of the rope apart, what happens? Well, you start to get compression Uh in the twists, and that actually causes what we call supercoiling. This is the phenomenon. This is the same thing that happens to telephone cords. Nobody has a telephone cord anymore. But in the day in which we had telephone cords, what happened? Over time, they got wrapped up on Mm -hmm. themselves, and that's actually a form of supercoiling. And so anytime we try to separate these strands, we're going to get supercoiling. Well, right. when, when does that happen? Well, uh, that's going to happen during replication and during transcription. Okay. So the very processes that the DNA has to undergo result in this type of challenge. Gotcha. So 
for life to function properly, you have to be able to separate those two strands right. and read the information inside. That's right. But and the then put them back together. And then put them back together. That's right. So in the very process of separating those is basically winding the coils tighter and tighter That's and exactly tighter right. until you have problems like this, which could That's right. potentially be devastating. That's exactly right. So I illustrated again like this. If this is a double-stranded segment of DNA, just imagine okay. if we open it up here to get access to this part of the DNA, because we're somewhere maybe in the middle of the chromosome, let's say. Right. And we open that up, what happens is we get supercoiling. Oh, okay. And we'll get it in either direction depending on which way we head. Right. And so whether we're doing transcription or replication, either one's going to result in, in this type of supercoiling, and this has to be resolved. Wow. In fact, when Watson and Crick solved the structure of DNA and decided it was a double helix, one of the things they recognize is that there's some serious implications of a double helix. Hmm. It's very stable in many ways, mm -hmm. and it's a great, elegant structure. But in order to access the actual information, yeah. you've got some problems with pulling those strands apart. And so there has to be some way for the cell to overcome that. In fact, their quote is, we don't feel these objections will be insuperable. In other words, uh -huh. they envisioned that there was some way that our cells had to actually overcome that problem. And so if we just kind of quickly summarize some of the problems. So uh, we, we talk about this as DNA topology. So the topology is, is a mathematical type of study, but DNA topology talks about the relationships of the strands of the double helix and how they can become twisted. And so if topology of DNA is not properly maintained, we're going to disrupt transcription, uh -huh. replication. Okay. Take it even further, we're going to have problems with chromosome segregation, which is the process by which we separate the DNA into daughter cells. Okay. And so mitosis is even going to have problems. And finally, gene regulation, so that ability of dynamically regulating the access to the information, yeah. that's going to become a problem. So the question is, how do we overcome that? Right. How do our cells deal with that? And that's what takes us to this idea that we have consequences. Replication, transcription can cause supercoiling. Uh, recombination, DNA repair, sometimes we get knots. Okay. Replication and mitosis, our chromosomes during replication actually get linked to one another. Huh. So that as, as, uh, as new chromosomes are being formed, they actually wrap around the original chromosome, so to speak, okay. uh, and they become linked or interlinked, okay. and that has to be undone. So these are all of the challenges that our cells face that have to be alleviated. In other words, we can't survive if these aren't fixed. Right. Our cells cannot continue to persist. Okay. So the so question is, how, how do we... How do we solve this problem? How do you solve the problem? You've got a, uh, a very elegant structure, That's double right. helix. It yeah. seems to be stable. It seems to be right. a very good structure. Right. But it comes with inherent problems. Exactly right. And so how do you solve those problems and keep life alive while keeping this beautiful, right. uh, efficient structure of DNA? That's right. And so in walks this class of enzymes that we call DNA topoisomerases. Okay. And so this is a, uh, of course, the, uh, the enzyme DNA topoisomerase actually represents a family, as we'll talk about. There's several different versions. But the name is very simple. It comes from topo, meaning topology, mm -hmm. isomerase, and these are enzymes that change the three-dimensional structure of a molecule without necessarily changing uh, the actual components of the molecule. Okay. So it changes the relationship of those molecules. Hmm. So topoisomerases are present in all known forms of life. We've got them everywhere. And in fact, we know they're required for survival. Even the simplest life forms that we know of, and even some viruses encode topoisomerases. Is that right? Yeah, how peculiar is that? Wow. And, and it's not clear exactly why that's the case. But, uh -huh. but we do know that even the smallest forms of life encode uh, topoisomerases. And we break these down into two broad types, type 1 and type 2. And I want to define those here over the next uh, couple minutes just yeah, so absolutely. we can have an understanding. 
So let's go back to our problem here. We've got supercoiling, we've got knotting, we've got linking between the DNA. How do we resolve this? Mm -hmm. uh, well, uh, topoisomerases can relax supercoiling, uh, they can unknot, yeah. and they can unlink or decatenate. Okay. So the, the, the links between chromosomes as they're being produced are called catenanes, and so we can decatenate those. Okay. So these are the things that our topoisomerases can do for us. Uh, and this is why we're able to survive, right? The very fact that they can do that. So these topoisomerases exist in a family of enzymes, either type 1 or type 2. And I've kind of given an image here. Of course, here's an here's a image of a uh, type 1 enzyme, or at least a, a diagram of one, and a diagram mm -hmm. over here of a type 2 enzyme, just okay. to give you a, a visual of kind of the differences in their structures. Uh, but type 1A is broken up in technical terms to 1A and 1B. Uh, the type 2s are type 2A and 2B. Okay. The, the only significance of that is that there's some difference in how they do what they do. The commonality is they all require a break in the DNA. Okay. In other words, they actually will generate a temporary break in the DNA, which is not necessarily a good thing in general, right? right? Breaking DNA in general is bad. Okay. Right? If you have a break in your DNA, there are signals within the nucleus that will go on and tell the, tell the cell, we have a problem, we need to fix this. Wow. The unique thing is that these are able to break DNA without setting off those alarms and able to actually manipulate DNA in the interim to alleviate some of the problems we were just talking about. So you're talking about like a factory. Yeah, kind of like a factory. If you think about a factory, yeah. you've, got a, you've got a problem, an alarm goes off, That's right. and you go solve the problem. Yeah. But it's automated in such a way that it's almost like someone has programmed these, these cells. Okay, if this type of alarm goes off, don't worry about it. It's just the topoisomerase is right. taking care of the right. problem. Well, and in fact, there's usually not an alarm because usually these things do their job without anything known. But the, the cool thing is, it goes back to kind of your alarm concept, is these enzymes are sensing the state of DNA. They are sensing whether it's too twisted wow. or not twisted enough. And they're able to detect that three-dimensionally in the DNA so they know when to act and when not to act. Hmm. And I say they know, I'm, I'm person, you know, it's personifying right. them, right. but the reality is these enzymes have the ability to identify regions of DNA that need to be fixed. So it's like an intelligence, they can tell, but you see an intelligence doesn't create itself. That's right. So, so uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to take the personification metaphor too far, but right. it, it is important to understand that three-dimensionally, these enzymes are designed in a way that they identify wow. some of these unique uh, sections of DNA. For wow. example, uh, DNA that's supercoiled, both the type 1 and type 2 families of enzymes can relax that DNA, and they do so by identifying sections of supercoiled DNA. They recognize that three-dimensionally speaking okay. and, and can alleviate that, okay. versus if you give them a substrate that is not twisted up, they won't act on it. Hmm. So they know when to act, so to speak, from a three-dimensional perspective. Okay. Further, it's interesting to note that the type 2 enzyme can also unknot and decatenate. Okay. And that goes back to the, the previous slide. As you note, type 1 enzymes, the key difference here is they only cut one strand. I got you. But notice what's happening with the type 2 enzymes. Uh -huh. They can cut both strands of the DNA. Okay. So they're actually making a double strand of break, which mm. is, again, a very dangerous thing for the cell. Right. But they do it in a controlled manner. And what that allows them to do is open up a break so that you can actually pass something through the middle. We'll talk about that in, a, in another episode. Absolutely. So, the type 1 enzyme is able to relax DNA. The type 2 enzymes, though, are also able to unknot and decatenate as mm. well as relax DNA. And so it's actually, these type 2 enzymes are actually essential to life. So a lot of organisms can live without a type 1 enzyme. Uh, no organisms that we know of can survive without a type 2 enzyme. And you talked about translation. Mm -hmm. 
what you're saying is basically you've got this language mm -hmm. that means one thing mm -hmm. for one function, mm -hmm. but you're speaking Spanish. I don't understand it, right? Mm -hmm. So an interpreter comes in, it interprets it, and all of a sudden I understand what you mean and I can build another important function. That's right. And so, I mean, this mm -hmm. this just doesn't happen by accident. No, it's it's vastly sophisticated. So if you if you get into the discussion of transcription and translation, what you learn is that in order for something to be translated out in the cytoplasm, for example, you not only have to have the RNA molecule, the ribosome, which is made of RNA and protein, multiple okay. pieces, you also have to have these adapter molecules called tRNA. And hmm. they actually grab the individual amino acids and deliver them to the ribosome. And the ribosome recognizes which tRNA goes with which sequence in the RNA itself, and that's how you decide what order to put the amino acids in. So really? you have an adapter molecule called a tRNA, okay. which brings up a whole other challenge of problems because we have, you actually have to build all of the tRNAs and appropriately assign those. So it gets pretty sophisticated pretty fast. Yeah. And just in the same way, if we look at, there are so many different types of topoisomerases. I mean, we call them DNA topoisomerase, but the reality yeah. is there are families of type 1 enzymes and type 2 enzymes, and then within those there are different uh, members of those. And I just gave a few examples from either bacterial or eukaryotic origins. Uh, and, and notice some of the differences. Some of them link to the five prime end of the DNA once it's broken, some to the three prime. So there's differences in mechanism. There's differences uh -huh. in how they carry that process out. Uh -huh. There's differences in what they require. Some of them need magnesium to do their work. Huh. Okay. So they actually okay. use the metal ions to perform catalysis or cutting of DNA or putting the DNA back together. Wow. Some of them require ATP. They have to have energy okay. uh, to perform their function. Okay. Uh, even though some of these processes are energetically favorable thermodynamically, they, some of them require energy uh, nevertheless to actually complete the function. And so some of them can relax. There's actually a, a type of enzyme called reverse gyrase, which is very unique. It can actually supercoil DNA actively. In other words, it can actually put supercoils into the DNA. Really? And, and we find this actually happens in some archaeal organisms where they might be living in, they might be hyperthermophilic, for example, living in extreme temperatures. Okay. And okay. the thought is there, if you actually induce supercoiling, you protect the DNA from, from falling apart at those high temperatures. Really? So it's we're talking really about maybe hydrothermal vents, life sure. living down in the sure. deep sea? Yes. Or, or So it's really wow. fascinating. Okay, concept. and then, of course, some of these are found in humans, some are That's found right. in other. That's right. Okay. So, so I gave some, some kind of representative species, but understand uh, all organisms that we know of are going to have at least one and probably two of these. And so okay. it's probably a type one and a type two. Okay. So, so it's a really fascinating thing when you get into the details of it, but it gets, uh, I think, way beyond, you know, where we need to, to worry about uh, going to today. So bottom line, a uh, couple points we want to make here. DNA topology has to be constantly maintained mm -hmm. in our cells all the time because transcription is occurring very frequently throughout our cells. Replication occurs as cells go through cell division. So all these processes have to be uh, continuously maintained. So, so you can kind of look at these guys as kind of highway workers, right? They okay. are out there maintaining the, the genetic roadmap, so to speak, right. and, and keeping it uh, aligned and in tune so that it can be used. So replication, transcription, mitosis, all of these processes get disrupted if these enzymes are not available to do their function. Hmm. So topoisomerases alleviate, we call, we call it topological strain, okay. or supercoiling. Those are our fancy words. But yeah. the idea is we keep, it keeps the DNA from being too tangled. Right. All right. If, again, if you envision the idea of having miles and miles of rope all piled into one small 
you know, room, mm -hmm. so to speak, uh, it's very easy to see how all that would get tangled up. Yes. And we have a lot of chromosomes, right? So we've got yeah. 23 chromosomes, we've got two copies, so we've got 46. After replication, for a little while, we've got, we have double that number, right? That's so true. we've doubled that before we go through cell division. So we've got to keep all of those things from getting tangled up. And that's where uh, this rope comes into play. So, You're talking again, about this studio filled yeah. up filled with up this rope. That's right. How do you keep it from getting tangled up? That's right. And this takes place to keep that from happening. That's right. Now, again, 20 seconds. Mm -hmm. Could that have happened by chance, do you believe? Well, it would be a really interesting scenario, let's just say that. If, <laughs> if it were to happen by chance, you'd have to have a lot of things show up at exactly the right place, exactly the right time, exactly the right function in order for it to even be possible. Absolutely. So we'll address that more later. Thank you so Absolutely. much, Thank Joe. You.